offered to pay me $10 if I would keep my message short. Um, I'm not going to tell you who that was or why Pastor Forsberg would do that, <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, but we'll try not to be too long tonight. I know it's been a long day and people are tired, so I'll, I'll respect your time. Um, Pastor and I were talking about kind of the direction to go with the Sunday nights, and uh, I, I had a series planned out for a while of, of a series that I wanted to do for Sunday nights, and I asked him when he'd like me to start that, and he said that this Sunday would be the time. And so I went back to my office, and I was thinking through the series, and the Lord just was like, no, that's not what I want you to do. And I was like, yeah, but God, it's, you know, it's kind of what I want to do, and I, I don't, I, you know, I, I'd like to, to, to do this. And he's like, yeah, but it's not what I want. And so I started going through scripture, and, and he brings me to Hebrews chapter 12. And um, the, so when he brings me to Hebrews 12, I'm kind of like, Lord, I, the last like three messages I've preached were in the book of Hebrews. I feel like our people are kind of Hebrews out. I mean, I don't think they want to, I don't think they want to hear it anymore. And he's, and, and he kept bringing, and so I tried to go other directions and he just wasn't allowing it to happen. And some of you might know this a couple months ago uh, in my personal devotion life, uh, I spent about two or three months just going verse by verse through the book of Hebrews and really fell in love with it. And I, and I, and I love the book of Hebrews. I love the imagery in the first couple chapters. I love the book of Hebrews. And when he brings me back to Hebrews 12, I finally surrendered and I said, okay, that's what we're going to do. And so for the next five weeks, we're going to be in a series called Marathon. And I'll tell you a little bit, I, I know we've kind of gone over a little bit of what the book of Hebrews is about recently, but I'll give you kind of an overview Paul, or sorry, Paul, we don't know, wrote the book of Hebrews. That's who I think wrote it, but that's an opinion. We don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. But the author of Hebrews spends the first 10 chapters kind of talking about who Jesus is. And he's just explaining the, the story of the Old Testament and how the Old Testament, the imagery in the Old Testament points to Jesus. And I was talking to our, our teenagers this morning about the fact that the Bi we're going through the Bible in our Sunday school class. We just started it this week, and we're just going to an overview of the Bible. And I was talking about from the first chapter, from the first 11 chapters, really, of the Bible, the story of the Bible is the story of Jesus. It's God's redemptive plan for mankind. And so even from Genesis 3, we know that God's plan was to redeem mankind. And so that's kind of what the author is trying to point out, that the story of the Bible isn't a story about a, just a bunch of random people. It's a story of God's redemption plan for us. And so as we're reading the Bible, that's the, the overall story. And so it says that, you know, Jesus, that the sacrifices pointed to Jesus, that the priests in the Old Testament, they pointed to Jesus because Jesus is the better, he, he brought about the better testament. So he spends the first couple chapters, the first 10 chapters, talking about who Jesus is. And when we get to chapter number 10, or chapter number 11, we know that to be the hall of faith. So we go through a bunch of these men and women who, who had faith, and they pleased God in their faith, that they walked in faith. And what the author of Hebrews is going to do in chapter number 12 is he's going to kind of turn that around on us. And basically say, hey, since they were faithful, since they obeyed God, since these people ran their race, hence the name Marathon, since they ran their race in faithfulness, now it's our turn to run our race in faithfulness. And so that's what we're going to do through the book of Hebrews, or through the chapter of Hebrews 12. We're going to learn what it looks like to run our race and, and how we run the race of this life in faithfulness. And we're going to start off in chapter number 12, verses 1 and 2. 
because he starts off really in, in a really interesting way. He starts off by giving us some examples uh, that will help us with our faithfulness. And so uh, this past, um, I think it was last Sunday night, one of our teenagers came up to me and asked if I could help her with her math homework. And uh, the reason being was because in youth group, I'm always bragging about how good I was in math in high school. And uh, I took calculus. I got an A in calculus. I'm, I'm not bragging, but I do to them. Um, I'm not bragging to you, though. So we, I, 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 I'm always talking about how, you know, math was my subject. I enjoyed math when I was in high school. I took calculus for fun. I didn't have to take it. I just took it. And um, so she asks me to help with her geometry. And I was like, geometry, perfect. I, I'm good at geometry. I can do this. And so she, she, brings, she brings her book to my office. I'm sitting there. I'm looking at the geometry book. And I'm like, did math change since I was in high school? <laughs> like... They, they switched something around. I don't know what happened. It was like I was trying to read another language. I mean, I was like, what happened? I, I used to be good at this. Now I'm not good at this anymore. And so I'm like, I'm going to fail. I'm not going to be able to help her. And it's kind of, I felt bad for her because it's awkward when you bring your geometry book to an adult and they don't know how to do it. So I'm sitting there, and I'm just looking and I was like, you know, I don't know what to do. But there was something that saved me. I went back a couple pages and in, in the beginning of each chapter is examples and so what the examples do is they show you, hey, there is a path to figure out the problem that you're in right now. And that's what saved me that day. Had I not had examples to go back to, there would be no way I would have been able to figure out that problem. Praise God, we figured it out and I got the right answer. So, but, but there was no way I would have done that had there not been examples. You know, examples are helpful. Examples help us to realize, hey, there might be a problem that you're in right now, but there's a way to get out because it's been done before. And that's kind of what the author is going to do in our, in, our, in our life with faithfulness. He's going to say, hey, it's been done before. Here's some examples that you can follow to know that, that you can live this life in faithfulness. And, and the reason I start there is because I don't think that there's anyone in this room that doesn't want to live their life in faithfulness. Right. I mean, this is why I think it's so appropriate for our Sunday night crowd, because the people that are in this room are people that want to run their race, run their marathon and be faithful to the Lord. I don't think that there's a single one of us tonight that that your goal in life is to in a couple years be out of church and not being faithful. You never spend time in scripture. You have no love for Jesus. I don't think that that's the people in this room's goal. I don't think that's where we want to end up. I would say that most of us want to get to the end of our life and, and we want to say what Paul said in 2 Timothy 4, 7. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I've kept the faith. That's where most of us are. That's where we want to be. The sad truth is most Christians won't end there. They won't. Because things happen. Things come into their life. They get distracted. Sin comes in things happen in their life that get them off track. And by the end of their life, they're not able to say, I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. They're not able to say those things. And what would help them a lot and what would help us a lot and what the author of Hebrews knew would help us a lot is if we had some examples to go back to. To, to look back to and say, oh man, that's how you live a faithful life. And so there's two different kinds of examples that we see in the first two verses. I'm going to give them to you up front, and then we're going to kind of break them down. And so the first example are the examples of God's faithfulness. 
And then the second example is our example on how to be faithful. So that's what we're going to look at in verse number one and two. And I'm going to read them real quick before we get started. It says this, wherefore, seeing we are also, we are, we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So in the first verse, first couple verses, we have some, or first verse, we have some examples of God's faithfulness. It says this, wherefore, seeing as we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. So that first phrase kind of begs the question, who are these witnesses? I mean, it says we're compassed about, there's a bunch of them, but who are they? And so what, what the author is, is leaning back to, what he's going back to is what he's just talked about in Hebrews chapter 11. Because in Hebrews chapter 11, we have all of these people who lived their life in faithfulness. We, we have people like, uh, well, like Joseph who lived his life trusting God. He, he lived a faithful life. He ran his race. He did his marathon in faithfulness. Then we have people like Noah, who found grace in the eyes of the Lord when everyone else's hearts were only evil continually. We've got people like Abraham, whose, whose trust in God, his faith was counted to him for righteousness. We've got people like Sarah, who trusted God. We've got people like Enoch, whose walk with God was so strong that he was, he was transformed. He was taken from this earth to be with God forever, w- without dying. These people who walked in faithfulness, these people who had great faith, they saw God do the, these great things. These are the witnesses that the author is talking about in verse number one. So then we ask the question, what did they witness? Like if the Bible says that they're witnesses, they have to be witnesses of something, right? And I used to read this verse and think, well, that's easy. They're witnesses of us. Like they're, they're up in heaven right now looking down at us and, and, and seeing our life and kind of cheering us on and, and saying, you know, you know, you can do it. You know, you got this. They're, they're witnesses of our race. But I started thinking about that. That doesn't really make that all that much sense because the Bible says in Ephesians 2, 7, that, that in the ages to come, he might show us the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness to us toward Christ Jesus. The reason that verse is important is right now, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, Noah, Enoch, they are living in the midst of the goodness of God. I mean, can you imagine that? Right now, they, they are worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ as he sits on the right hand of the throne of his father. They, they, their focus for all of eternity, as well as what our focus will be for all of eternity, is worshiping our Savior. Right now, that's what they're doing. And because of that, I don't think their focus is on us. I don't think we're the focus of their heart. I don't think we're the focus of, of their glance. And so I don't think that we are what they're witnesses of. So what are we witnesses? What, what are they witnesses of? If we go back in Hebrews 11, the Bible says, by faith, Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice. The Bible says, by faith, Noah trusted and he he builds an ark. The Bible says, by faith, Enoch was translated. 
By faith, Sarah received, received strength. By faith, it was all by faith. Everything they did was because God said, hey, I'm going to do this. This is what was going to happen. And they trusted, they had faith that God was going to do what they, what he said that they would, that, that he would do. And so because they trusted that God would do what he said that he would do, he did it. What they're witnesses of is not us. What they're witnesses of is the faithfulness of God. They have witnessed time and time again, and through Scripture, what we see over and over and over again are people who just all they did was trust that God was going to do what He said that they that He would do. They just believed that they had faith, and, and then all of a sudden, He does what they say, what He said He was going to do, and now they're witnesses of the faithfulness of God because He said He was going to do it. And guess what? He did it. He did exactly what He said he was going to do. And whenever you have witnesses, whenever you have somebody that was actually there for something, it kind of strengthens your belief in that, right? My dad, so I'm, I'm younger. This is going to tell my age a little bit. I was one, years old, one year old when 9-11 happened. I don't remember much about being one, so I don't really remember 9-11 all that much. And I can do a bunch of research, I can look and, and figure out, you know, kind of what happened, and I can know a bunch of facts about 9-11. I can know the time that the towers were struck, I can know the time that the Pentagon was struck, I, I could know the time that the plane crashed in Pennsylvania, I can know all these, all these facts about it, but my dad was in Washington, D.C. the moment that the Pentagon got struck. And so when I listened to him tell the stories... Because he was an eyewitness, because he was there when it happened, not at the Pentagon, but he was in Washington, D.C., he, he can, better than almost anybody I know, explain what the chaos was like on that day. Why? Because he was an eyewitness. He can explain exactly what happened. He can explain how people's emotions were. He can explain what he, what, what, what he felt. And for people that would say, oh, that, you know, that didn't happen, he would say, no, it happened. I was there. I witnessed what was going on. And so what we have in Scripture are people that, that, can, that can point to the fact that, hey, I know right now it might be difficult to believe that God's going to be faithful. I know it might be difficult right now that, that God, to believe that God's going to come through, that He's going to do what He said He will do. But over and over again in Scripture, we have witnesses whose witness testimony is that He is faithful. That, that He is going to do exactly what He said He was going to do. And the Bible says that we're compassed about with those witnesses, which means that they're everywhere. Go back one page, or you might not even have to. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 32. It says, And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah and David also and Samuel and the prophets. All these great men, the author of Hebrews is like, listen, I don't even have time to tell you the amount of stories of God's faithfulness. That's how faithful he's been. I don't even have time to tell you because he's been so incredibly faithful as history goes on. He's like, I, I don't have time to tell you because he's always faithful. Which is interesting because look at the end of Hebrews 11. Starting in verse number 35. 
says women receive their raised, their, their dead raised to life again. So he's, he's kind of ending this section where he's talking about all these great things that, that God's done through these men and women. Then we get to verse number 35, the end. It says, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trials of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of the bonds and imprisonment, and were stoned and were sown asunder, were tempted and were slain with the sword and wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. Now, when I'm saying that they're witnesses of God's faithfulness, we look at those last couple verses and we think, well, surely not them. They weren't witnesses of God's faithfulness. Because they believed that God would do what he said he would do, and they were faithful to him, and they trusted him, and they, and they lived their life according to their faith in Jesus Christ, and they were tortured. Sown asunder. What that means is that they were, they were cut in half. They, they, were, they were killed, slain with a sword. Surely they are not witnesses of God's faithfulness. And maybe there's some of you right now where you're kind of like, man, I don't feel like I'm a witness of God's faithfulness because everything that's going on in your life, you're like, man, I don't know how I can say that God is faithful. And yet, if you were in an interview room with any one of those people tonight, like let's say you had the ability to go to heaven and talk with the people who were tortured, who were sown asunder, who were slain with the sword. If you were able to get in an interview room with them and you were able to put a microphone to their mouth and you were able to ask them, hey, if you were to do this all over again, would you do it again? Like was God actually faithful? Their witness statement would say he was faithful. Why? Because right now, what are they doing? They're learning about the kindness of God toward them in Jesus Christ. That's what they're doing. Their, their witness statement, even though they went through difficulty in this life, their witness statement is still, he was so incredibly faithful. Because right now they're experiencing the faithfulness of God. And so right after that, it says that we're cumbered about with such a great a cloud of witnesses. These are our witnesses. And so if these witness stories are true, and what we have to decide before we decide anything else is if this book is true. That, that's, where we have to, that's where we have to get to. You have to decide if the Old Testament is true. This is why we don't, uh, we don't ascribe to the belief that we need to kind of unhitch from the Old Testament, that the Old Testament doesn't really matter all that much anymore because it's extremely important for us to understand the stories of the Old Testament. Otherwise, how will we know that God was faithful? And what we have to decide before we decide anything else is if we believe that this book is true. Because if this book is not true, then, then maybe there, there's an excuse to not live in faithfulness, to not believe that, that God will come through in the end. But if this book is true, if the story of Noah is true, if the story of Enoch is true, if the story of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Sarah and Daniel and, and all these people in the Old Testament, if the stories of their lives are true, then the most idiotic thing that we could do is not live our life in faithfulness. Because if the stories of this book are true, then he is incredibly faithful. He's incredibly faithful. The thing that has to be crazy to the unsaved world 
is that Christians say that they believe all these things about God. We say that we believe that He, he has the power to raise the dead. We say that we believe that, that in the Old Testament, he had, the, he had the power to part the Red Sea. He had the power to transform Enoch. He has the power to do all of these things, and we claim to believe that. And yet when it comes to everyday practical faithfulness, we're like, well, I can't do that. That's got to be insane to, to a world that's looking on us to see if our faith is legitimate. And that's why the Bible says next, <clears throat> he points to us. Look at verse number one. Wherefore, seeing our, as we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Listen, the stories of God's faithfulness in the past should provoke us to be faithful in the present. If we believe all of those things that God has done, if we actually believe that He has the power to be faithful, then there is no excuse for us not to be radically faithful to Him. There's no excuse. There's no excuse for me. There's no excuse for any of us. Because He has been radically faithful in the past. So what does this say? It says, let us lay aside the weights. So, so what are weights? Well, weights are things, He says sins next, so we know He's not talking about sins, because He's not being redundant. And so weights are probably what he's talking about there are things that, that are in our life that aren't necessarily sin, but, but they keep us from faithfulness. Things like that hobby that you would rather go and spend time in than, than maybe coming to church and being faithful. It's maybe that Netflix series that, that you really want to watch because it's a really good story, but you know that there is things in it that are going to lead you to be tempted to not be faithful. Things that aren't necessarily maybe wrong in and of themselves, but they're going to distract you from faithfulness. He says, lay those aside. L lay aside the weights. Then he says, the sins that does so easily beset us. These are things that, that we know, like they're wrong. They're things that, that we, there's no way to get around it. There's no way to argue yourself out of it. These are things that are wrong. And God said that they were wrong. He says, we need to lay those aside too. And then what else do you say? He says, to run with patience, meaning endurance. Hey, you're not going to give up when things get hard. You're not just going to, to give up on, on the Lord when that family member doesn't get healed. You're not going to give up on the Lord when, when you're just not sure how you're going to make rent. You're running with patience. You're running with endurance. Jesus said this in, in Luke 9.62. He said, it says, And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow, and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. We need to have endurance. So what is the author trying to communicate? Like he says, lay aside the weights, lay aside the sins, run with patience. What is he trying to say? What he's trying to say is that because we have these witnesses that teach us the faithfulness of God, that are witnesses that God has been faithful, their witness statement would say, God has been faithful to me. Because of all these times that God has been faithful in the past, then what we need to do, what that should provoke us to do, is get rid of anything in our life that is keeping us from faithfulness. Why? Because we have examples of His faithfulness. And if He has been that faithful to us, then anything in our life that's keeping us from faithfulness should be something that we're like, we're like, no way, I'm not going to keep that around. 
If he's been that faithful to me, then I'm not going to keep anything around that's going to keep me from being faithful to him. See, at times we allow weights to distract us. We allow sins to distract us. When hard times come, we just want to give up. But if we spent time meditating on the faithfulness of God, we would realize that if God's been that faithful to me, I want to be faithful to him. This is why it is so vitally important that believers spend time in Scripture. It is so... I tell our teenagers this often. They're probably sick of me saying it by this point. But I tell them this often, that reading your Bible, spending time in Scripture, it's not just a religious activity that Pastor Yoder, myself, and Pastor Forsberg just want you to do to keep you busy. That's not why we say to all the time to spend time in Scripture. It's not that it's a religious activity. It's that it's a mode of survival. That you will not be faithful unless you're convinced of the faithfulness of God. And the only way you're going to be convinced of the faithfulness of God is if you spend time, and if we spend time meditating in, reading stories of the faithfulness of God. We have to spend time in his word if we're going to be convinced of his faithfulness. And I can honestly say that the times in my life that, that I have wandered, the, the times in my life where I, have, where I have fallen, have been times that I was not convinced of God's faithfulness. Because if I was convinced of his faithfulness to me, there's no way that, that I would allow myself to not be faithful to him. That's why it's so vital that we spend time in Scripture. That's why he preserved the Old Testament to teach us. The things that were written of old time were written for our learning. So it's vital that we spend time in his word. So we have these people that were witnesses of God's faithfulness. They were examples to show us that God has been faithful. But we also have an example of how to be to be faithful. They were witnesses to say, hey, faithfulness is worth it, but we also need an example to show us what faithfulness looks like. Right? And what's interesting is most of the time we turn those people into those examples. Like we read the Old Testament, and I'm not saying any of this is wrong. I'm not saying that there aren't good examples in the Old Testament to follow and say, like, man, we want to be faithful like them. But 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 they are not our ultimate example. The ultimate example is not to dare to be a Daniel. The ultimate example is not to try to be like Noah. The ultimate example is not to, to try to be like Abraham. All of those men, they were, they were great men and, and they were faithful, but all they were was faithful to a God that, that we need to follow. So our example is not those men. Our example is the God that they followed. And that's what he says in verse number two, or verse number three. Sorry, verse number two. Looking unto Jesus. There's a reason that nobody else's name is in that verse. Because every other example, in one way or another, will fail us. But not him. It says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is our example of how to run the race in faithfulness. If we want to know how to run a race in faithfulness, that's the person that we need to go to and ask, hey, how do we do it? Because he's the only one that's actually done it. Now, other people have been faithful, but they haven't been perfectly faithful like he was and is and forever will be. 
they, they weren't as faithful for him. And so if we want to know something, we need to go to the expert. Like if I want to know how to win a football game, I'm not going to go to the Vikings to try to ask to figure it out because they can't win a football game. I'm just kidding. Sorry. Okay. I got a lot of really bad looks. Sorry. Um, did they win today? Okay. They won today. Great. Now like I look like an idiot. <laughs> uh, the Ravens won too, by the way. I just want to say that. Um, but you know what I'm talking about. If I want to know how to do something, I'm going to talk to the expert. I'm, I'm going to look at how the expert did it. We, we don't go to people who are amateurs to try to figure out how to do something if there's a professional nearby that knows how to do it. And, and that's what he's saying here, that those people, although they were great examples of God's faithfulness, they're not our ultimate example to look to, to how to be faithful. That example is Jesus. And so we need to look at how he was faithful. If he's our example, then how did he end up being faithful? Well, here's what he says. It says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He despised the shame, but now he's set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So, so how was Jesus faithful? The way that he was faithful was he looked at where faithfulness was going to get him. The, the joy, some people would say that the joy that was set before him was us. I don't think that that's inaccurate. I think that, that we were a, jo- a part of the joy that was set before him, that he was so excited to have mankind restored to himself that, that that was one of the reasons that he went through with the cross, that you and I were part of that joy that was set before him. I think there's another reason, though. Jesus was with his Father for all of eternity. He was one with, his, one with the Father, one with the Holy Spirit. They lived in perfect communion then Jesus comes down to this earth. And I don't fully understand how everything worked with Jesus being omnipresent and mankind at the same time. I don't, don't ask me because I don't know. But he came down to this earth, I know that. And while he's on this earth, there's a sense in which he's separated from his father. And also while he's on the cross, he's really separated from his father. That's why he yells out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I think a part of the joy that was set before him was that he was going to get to be back with his father and that he was going to get to spend eternity seated on the right hand of the throne of God. I think that was part of the joy that was set before him. You know, the joy that's set before us isn't that much different. The joy that's set before us is that we're going to live this life and the only thing that's going to matter at the end are the things that we did with and the things that we did for Jesus. Those are the only things that are going to matter. And then we're going to get to heaven, and he's either going to, you know, I'm not saying it works get you into heaven. That's not what I'm saying. But when you work for Christ, we get rewards in heaven. And some of us are going to get to heaven, and we're going to hear the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter now into the joy of the Lord. And some of us won't hear that phrase, well done, good and faithful servant, because we weren't faithful. That's the joy that's set before us. The way that Jesus lived in order to be faithful was he was just looking to the joy that was set before him. He was looking at where faithfulness was going to get him. And that's the way that we live faithful, recognizing the fact that one day we're going to be, we're going to be with our Father again. We're, we're going to be, we're going to be with God forever and we're going to spend eternity with him. And the only things that will matter during that time, during eternity, are the things that we did for him. And so we're going to be faithful here. Uh, that was the example that Jesus faced for us and, I, and I, or gave us. And I also want to say this. It says in, in chapter 12, verse number 2, that he despised the shame. 
that there was a part of the cross that Jesus wasn't looking forward to. That it was difficult. It wasn't something that he was... Now, now there was joy on the other end of the cross, but I'll tell you this, Jesus wasn't that excited about being separated from his father. That's why he prays in the garden, Lord, if, 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 if there's any way that you can let this cup pass from me, do it, nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou will. Like Jesus was not excited about being ripped, stripped away from his father. For the, for the, like he wasn't excited about the, the, the father God turning his back on him. And so in our lives, there's going to be things that we're not that excited about. And I'm not telling you that you need to walk through life singing kumbaya when you walk into the office when your family member is sick. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying there's parts of life that are going to be difficult, just like there were parts of Jesus' life that were very difficult. But that doesn't mean that we stop being faithful. Because if Jesus can be be faithful in the midst of his father turning his back on him so that he could pay for the price of sins that he didn't commit, if he can continue to be faithful in that, then we can continue to be faithful to him, especially since he's been as faithful as he has to us. And so we look to Jesus as our example of how to be faithful. We look to the end. That's our focus Last night, it was a really nice, uh, nice day outside. It's really nice tonight, too. God's been giving us awesome weather. Um, last night, it was nice out, and so Gabby and I decided we were going to go for a walk. And uh, she asked me, she was like, hey, do you want to run? And I was like, no. Um, <laughs> but you can. I'd be glad to let you run. And so she was like, okay, what I'm going to do is you, you take Loki, which is our dog, and then I'm going to run, and then I'll come back. And I was like, okay, so, so that's what we did the entire way around our complex. She would run, and then she would run back. And so one time, she ran. I had our dog. And every time she ran, he's like, he's like freaking out. He's like ready to go. I mean, it's like, it's like, have you ever seen like one of the police dogs that are ready to chase a criminal? That's kind of what he looked like. He was like, man, I, like I'm ready to go. And so one time, she ran, and I just let go. <laughs> And he booked it, man. I mean, he was, he was running. And there was nothing that was going to stop him. And what, what the part of it that was dangerous is, like, if a car comes, he doesn't care. He doesn't care if a car comes. He doesn't care if a motorcycle comes from this way. He doesn't care. He, frankly, doesn't really care if there's somebody standing in his way. He'd plow over him. Why? Because, because Gabby's right there, and he wants to be with her. And so that's the focus. Like, he's, he doesn't care what else is in the way. He's booking it. He's running his race straight toward his master. That's a picture of what our life should look like. That it doesn't matter the kind of things that get in our way. It doesn't matter the things that come into our life. It doesn't matter the, the kind of sins that we might be tempted with. It doesn't matter the weights that might be on us. We shake them off, we place them to the side, and we run with patience the race that is set before us, being focused just like Jesus was on the end goal, on the joy that's set before us, which is being able to be with our Master. So in Hebrews 1 and 2, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, what we have is we have some examples of God's faithfulness. And if he's been that faithful to us, then there's no reason that we shouldn't be faithful to him. And we also have our primary example of how we can be faithful. We look to Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, but now he's seated at the right hand of his Father. Lord, thank you 
for these examples that you've given us in Hebrews 12. And Lord, 